the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. No better place right now for NHL free agency grades, NBA offseason movement, Major League Baseball midseason marks, and of course, a quiet but escalating NFL content series at The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track. Get yourself started with 40% off at registration. Download the app, personalize it with your favorite teams and leagues. You know the rest. It's all right there for you. Ad-free and exclusive every morning. My name is Mike Chinetti. Happy Thursday. Happy July 14th. Big, uh, yeah, decent, above average NHL free agency to start here. A couple of nice trades, a couple of big, big contracts. Nothing over $10 million a year. We had six eight-year deals, five seven-year deals. Plenty of... Uh, Plenty of, of, of chaos, right? I think some teams that we thought were on the way down are buying themselves right back up. So we'll talk about that quite a bit with Cousin Dan. We're going to bounce around to three sports with Dan today. It's going to be NHL free agency. It's going to be Major League Baseball for a little bit. Some of the Royals uh, COVID vaccination stuff and how that impacts the trade deadline. And then the back end of the show, just some, uh, some NFL headlines from Dan's perspective. And then um, a couple that I brought to the table as well that I think are going to sneak their way back into conversation, if not this offseason, during the season, as teams kind of establish themselves in 2022 and look ahead towards that 2023 offseason. A little bit of everything today, and uh, certainly we'll keep on the NBA stuff. We're taking a little bit of a break from that as Scott crunches the numbers and finalizes some things from the league. But the Brunson stuff is official. Many of these big contracts are now official. Some of the trades have processed as well. Lakers are still silent. Brooklyn's still pretty silent. There's, a, there's more to come. So we're going to take a break today from the NBA. We'll be back on that probably next week. But uh, plenty of sports to bounce around to today. Today's episode is also brought to us by DynastyOwner.com, the preeminent Dynasty fantasy football site on the internet. Great app, great website, easy to use. Use code SPOTTRACK20, S-P-O-T-R-A-C-2-0 at, de- at the registration. Get yourself 20% off. This is the preeminent site. For all this stuff, but tons of customization, tons of bells and whistles. You can establish a group of friends. You can play in like a public or a private setting. You can play for money. You can play for not money. Your bench points count. It's real NFL salaries. As the transactions apply to the NFL, they apply to you. So when DK Metcalf gets that new contract, it's going to apply to your dynasty roster. You're going to have to either accept his new AAV or say, I'm done with this guy. I'm trading him or releasing him right now. That's how it works in this kind of a system. It's an awesome system. Dynastyowner.com gets you started today. All right, Dan, paternity leave is over. It's officially time for you to get on the clock here, all right? We're going double segment. We're going hockey, then we're going baseball because there's uh, obviously plenty to talk about in the NHL with the big free agent start yesterday. And then a little bit of craziness in Major League Baseball as we approach that trade deadline and a little bit more chaos in the baseball season. Johnny Goudreau signs a big contract. Is that where you want to start? $9.8 million per year with the Blue Jackets, a team that, I don't know, is trying to, guess, resuscitate them on the fly. Yeah, yeah, sure. I um I'm not really sure what to think about that with the reports of um him passing a bigger, you know, a likely bigger deal to stay in Calgary and um yeah. also New Jersey I saw offered him uh, more than what he took in Columbus. So, um I I haven't seen too much like about why that is, but I do think it's certainly interesting. Have you heard anything about that? No, it's uh, I'm reading a little bit as we speak here by the way. Um from Pierre Lebrun, who does a great work for the athletic, of course, there's a lot of confusion. You know, why wouldn't you stick with Calgary, who I think is going to be the better team over the next three to four years, unless Columbus really pushes the envelope in a couple other areas. 
is it a Canada thing? Is it, do you know what I mean? Like what, what's the deal? That's not an organization that, that gets these kind of guys. And then, you know, it lets them walk. Generally speaking, they, they went overpaying here. They went 10 and a half million on their offer for Goudreau, which is basically top of the market on an eight year contract. So he left quite a bit. I mean, we're talking about maybe 15 million left on the table there. Uh, that just doesn't happen in hockey. That's not a sport that where there's money flying around here. So, um, hell of a player and certainly in his prime uh, for some reason Columbus is is where he wants to be I, I guess I, I'll, I'll need to see it on the ice to believe what I what we what just happened here yeah and especially considering to the to the New Jersey point that we mentioned he he's from New Jersey and was rumored to be interested in playing closer to home now Columbus is still closer to home but if New Jersey um you know truly did offer him roughly 10 million a year um, on a similar contract, I, I, I'm not sure. It does seem like he specifically wanted to be in Columbus for one reason or another. Now, wh- why that reason is, I'm not sure either. It's interesting, though. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, certainly, that's the big movement. But look, every year we kind of grumble at this, but we have to get to it. The eight-year contracts were flying around like like pancakes yesterday, Dan. We had six eight-year extensions. Four of them went to players who played in the Stanley Cup final. Three Tampa Bay, one Colorado. Just your thoughts on where the league is with that right now. Uh, I mean, it's it's part of a bigger discussion mm-hmm. with the NHL and the salary cap and move, you know, potential movement and flexibility within rosters. Um, yeah, I, I obviously we don't we don't advocate for those, and they typically never work out. And um, I mean, it's a really good way to anchor a team towards the bottom um, if that contract doesn't work out right for for multiple years, it, it sets a team back. So, um, yeah, I don't I don't like them. I don't really have an issue with any of the like, I, I'm not going to like sit here and. Yeah, I mean, it, it is the best the teams in the league doing this but, now. Right. I mean, it's not like this bad teams are overpaying players just to keep them the best teams in hockey are doing this. I mean, the Tampa Bay lighting have been a perennial, you know, they're basically the Dodgers right now. And the Dodgers are doing the same thing. They're pushing out 10, 12 year contracts to superstar players uh, for similar reasons. It's an AAV thing. You know what I mean? There's a luxury tax AAV in baseball. There's a salary cap AAV in, in hockey. And the longer you go, the less, the less of a hit per year. So it's, you know, basic math. I, I guess we can't complain if the Stanley cup finalists are doing this on a regular basis, let's talk about Tampa Bay specifically for a second. Um, did you think they were about to step back a little bit here or did, or, or is keeping the gas pedal down the right move for that franchise? I think they have enough there that they can keep retooling, um, every year there's, they they obviously know what they're doing there and how to, how to get young talent and develop it. And, you know, first of all, bring it in cheaply and then develop it to a point where they're, they're a perennial contender. So yeah, I, I, I think typically a team that has been this relevant and this at at the apex for, you know, so many years in a row, Mm -hmm. it's inevitable that they, they have to take a step back, back at some point. And this is sort of it, I guess, but, um, yeah, I I don't blame them for keep to to keep going here. Yeah, I don't either. I, I agree. And if you think about Tampa Bay sports as a whole right now, it's just a lot of things clicking. <laughs> you know, the Rays are relevant again, maybe for the eighth year in a row. Uh, similar mindset. Let's develop from within. Let's take other people's garbage and turn it into our, our our riches. 
and uh, and every now and then we're going to put a splashy contract out there like they just did with Wander Franco. So there's there's a lot of similarities there. Certainly the Buccaneers are in a different conversation because of the the quarterback they were able to ascertain. So uh, it's just a crazy sports market right now, and and I get it. Everybody's trying to stay relevant because they can because their their systems are working. It's a financial slash roster construction kind of gold mine right now, and I give them all the credit in the world. Goaltenders, Dan. That was the name of the game for a lot of teams, especially some of the good teams heading in here. Uh, not, I'm not going to ask you to rank how this went, but I think I, I think you have a handle on who went where and, and some of the bigger teams' decision making. Anything stand out with goaltending over the past 24 hours? Um, not specifically. I mean, Edmonton made the biggest splash with Jack Campbell, probably. Um, and that's a team that has definitely been kind of pandering at, at goaltender for a number of years. It's like the so Browns I think, with the quarterback, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So whether you like Jack Campbell or not, I have, I, you know, I'm fine with them picking a lane and kind of going in that direction with it. And I'm um, trying to solidify that position, but huh. how, about, um, how about goaltenders sticking around that $5 million mark? I mean, Darcy Kemper and Jack Campbell, both about five, five and a quarter. Uh, you know, there was a, there was a world where the top free agent goalie was getting upwards of nine, 10, you know, and, and some teams are still paying for that. Unfortunately, is there just a market correction happening here or are these players just not to that quality? Um, Maybe a little bit of both, but I do. I, I I think the league has kind of gotten smarter with that. Yeah. So, I mean, we saw, we saw that influx of big long-term contracts for goalies. And then I think everything overcorrected where like teams were uh, like teams were more hesitant to give out those contracts and were fine just throwing darts at young um, prospect goalies. But that does, then we kind of see that doesn't really work either. And I think we're kind of settling in, in, in in between those two spots now. So, um, yeah, if you're a good, somewhat proven goalie, I mean, I say that tongue in cheek cause there really aren't a lot of good proven goalies with any kind of track record that, um, you know, hit free agency. But it, it, if you have any kind of success in the league, you can earn like a middling deal. But I, I think the days of these monster goalie contracts, um, I, I don't think we're going to see those too often anymore. Yeah. It feels a little bit like the running back going to be a by committee situation for a lot of organizations unless you get that one one stud and um you know that's the McCaffrey's conversation which I think has translated to this kind of position as well I, I'm obligated to talk Toronto like I'm obligated to talk Yankees or Cowboys right I mean that's just how this works they made a goalie move here uh Ilya Samsonov at 1.8 million uh feels like that's going to be highly graded if you're if you're starting to read the NHL, you know, free agency grades across the world here. I, yeah, I personally like it. Uh, he, he was a player that I thought had, um, uh, sort of some, some prospect hype, if you will, coming into the league and kind of just never really totally got the full share of starts in Washington. Yeah. Um, now, you know, it, it, maybe that's the same situation in Toronto now, but I do think, what I'm trying to say is I think there's a little bit of meat on the bone that we haven't seen there yet, that he might be a, a really good, that might be a really good addition for them. Right. And package that with Matt Murray, who they acquired just a couple of days before free agency. You know, they're at about 6 million for their two goalies, which is probably about the sweet spot here. Uh, the difference here is both these goalies have legitimate experience and, and honestly, legitimate playoff experience here too. So uh, probably a, a pretty good one, two punch. We saw a couple teams completely flip over their goaltending market. Uh, 
over the past couple of you know, 48 hours or so. We saw that in Washington, who let Samsonov and essentially Holpe walk and brought him two brand new, really strong uh, goalie candidates here. Uh, you know, we're seeing this quite a bit, Dan. Is this going to be a thing? And does it feel like the running back in that regard where maybe it's like three years, get out, get in, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think it's going to go that way. Yeah. Yeah, no question. Yeah, and Toronto kind of got hammered for the Matt Murray. The the Matt yeah. Murray deal happened before Samsonov. So they got kind of hammered on that as in like, oh, you're going to let Jack Campbell walk and this is the guy you're going to bring in. Well, there was a tandem move there. And now that, you know, th- those Which is smarter. Two, it's good business. Yeah, exactly. So th- those two moves together make way more sense than it did two days ago. But yeah, they got kind of hammered for the let Jack Campbell walk and Matt Murray's your replacement. Fund. Yeah, there's no question about it. Anybody else stand out here, Dan? I'm reading some grades as we speak, which I hate to do, but I, I get it. I understand it. I mean, the Penguins, I, well, that's a team that eventually is going to have to rip this Band-Aid off. You know, they're just not the same Penguins. They did bring everybody kind of back into the party, um, you know, and the injuries continue to pile up on an annual basis. Is that a team that's going backwards, you know, or should they be doing what Chicago, the Chicago Blackhawks are doing, which is, you know, lighting every, every dumpster on fire in town? It's an interesting comparison. I I feel like Pittsburgh is in a better spot to keep trying to move forward with that core a little bit. Um, I, I think Chicago had a domino effect of you know different variables to the point where the the entire team is pretty much Pat Kane and yeah. Seth Jones, who is not a good defensive you know not not really good defensively at this point. Um, he's more of an offensive guy back there. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with Pittsburgh doing it. Is this going to look good four years from now? I mean, maybe not, but I don't blame. They were kind of in a spot with Crosby with, you know, you got to run it back with Malkin and, and mm-hmm. Latang, And I, I don't really blame them for doing it. And I think that it'll it'll look better down the line than I, I think if Chicago tried to press forward with the with the group of players they had there. I don't hate them trying to squeeze every ounce of Sidney Crosby out they have. You know what I mean? It's just been that kind of situation where you let you let it run its course and then you you pivot after that. Similar, I guess, what happened with the Steelers, right? With Roethlisberger, that's that's exactly what they did with Roethlisberger across town. Is you're going to tell us when it's time, and then we'll we'll figure out how to rebuild after that, which is exactly what we saw this offseason with the Steelers. You mentioned Chicago and and the, the financial situation. <laughs> Do you know that Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, and Seth Jones are 43 percent of that salary cap? Forty-three yeah, percent, Dan, for three players. You need twenty-two. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty impressive in a bad way. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, it's just there's so much going on there. I mean, we we don't need to get into all the different parts of it, but but specifically, you you just gave Seth Jones a monster contract one year ago, mm-hmm. and now you know, less than twelve months later, you're you're retooling everything. I, I don't know what their direction is, where they're going to go, but. Um, I mean, they are obviously tearing a lot down, but um, yeah. are they making the right moves? I'm, I, I don't even know. <laughs> it's hard to tank. It really is. It's it's hard to rip everything off, especially when you have so much baggage with past contracts. And, and there's not a clean way to get out of an NHL contract. You know, it's similar to baseball where you just have to kind of suffer through some of your veteran players that are on those 10-year contracts. And, and you know that's baked into the cake. And that's unfortunately what a lot of these teams have to go through, which is I think one of the reasons why both those sports are faltering from a rating standpoint, don't wouldn't you agree with that? That teams just forcibly have to get stale because the contracts allude to that. They don't allow you to build around them because they get stale after year six or seven or even five in some points. 
and it literally handcuffs these these organizations and sends them into almost like a a stalemate mode versus you know a true tank or a, or a rebuild process. So uh, that's that's my biggest problem with these eight year contracts, Dan, is that you just know that halfway through there's there's a built in trigger that says, all right, unless this kid's an absolute superstar and we've got four other guys around them around him, you know, in the same window. We're gonna be stuck. We're gonna be in a stuck mode, and that's just a—it's just a bad look for the sport, in my opinion. But I'm not gonna go off my soapbox too much here. What other teams stood out in the last 24 hours, Dan? It's, it was pretty hectic. I mean, Carolina, I know, is getting a lot of attention for the trade acquisitions and a couple of signings. I think you like those moves a little bit more than I do. Have, have at it, man. Um. Yeah, I guess I just. I. I guess I gravitate towards the price paid for both of you know the major max patch was acquired for very little brent burns mm-hmm. that return wasn't super impressive some people think brent burns is done i think if he is a guy with less minutes he will be he could still produce at a you know a lesser but similar rate to what he has in the past um he's just not a 30 minute you know 25 minute plus sure. a night guy anymore so um is I, I just think that team was more built on depth in the past. And now they're kind of making a splat. Like Max Pacioretty is like a premier goal scorer in the league. Um, you add him with Aho, Teravine in that group. Um, Sveshnikov, that, that, that's a, that's a really nice core. They have a good defense. Uh, I think they're fine at goalie. I, I do like that team quite a bit. Yeah. And I get it. I think what, what you just said is exactly right. They had a bit of a surplus situation. And they just needed to tinker a little bit and get, you know, markedly better in one or two spots uh, in a top four or a top six situation. And they did that with two, two back-to-back trades. And by the way, Vegas completely agrees with you. Vegas has Carolina as the favorites in the East tied with Toronto right now, according to FanDuel Sportsbook. It's Colorado to win it all at plus 500. Carolina and Toronto at plus, plus 1,000. Tampa Bay's at plus 1,200 right behind them. So... Obviously, there's juice behind this Carolina team, no question about it. And, and I guess with Toronto as well, who I don't believe were there yet yesterday at this point in time. So, you know, a couple, couple of quick fixes, certainly with the goaltender situation. And those teams are right there. By the way, I'm going to ask you about this because that Pacioretty move was no question a salary dump. I mean, Pat, he's a, he was a $7 million hit. They moved a, a minor leaguer along with him to make it almost $7.8 million saved because they were basically over. Vegas heading into this league year. They needed to do it. They absolutely had to move salary. Vegas is sixth on this list for the Stanley Cup right now, according to FanDuel, Dan. Are they still that good, that deep? No, I, I don't. I don't see it. I mean, they've following a really, really impressive expansion draft, they've just made a bunch of really dumb moves that have almost all simultaneously not worked out right. Like some, sometimes you get lucky and bad moves kind of like, don't kill you, but they've like gutted a good chunk of their organization to go after some of these guys. Yeah. Like the, like the, the Pacioretty flip was like for Suzuki and to Tatar, Thomas Tatar and another, I think another pick. And then to they reacquire Thomas Tatar for like a first and a second or three picks overall. It's just terrible asset management overall. Um, can I, can I, I interject I, a little bit? Cause you're right. Yeah. But, but I don't think it's just, you know, we picked the wrong guys. The way that expansion draft worked, and because they manipulated so much of it via trades, right? They punted on their first pick. They punted on a couple of picks to bring in some veteran players and try to be relevant out of the gate. And obviously, it worked, you know, right to the finals. But 
Um, they got themselves in cap hell right out of the gate, Dan. They got themselves in contracts they should never have had because you're supposed to be able to build from the bottom up and sort of you know piece this thing together from the from an entry level standpoint. They never did that. They started basically with an above average cap situation, and then you're right because they got good so fast. They tried to stay relevant, and the only way to stay relevant is to overpay in free agency and things like that. And they just kept building on and building on. And the past three seasons, I've sat here. And I've had to finagle their roster just to get them cap neutral before the league year. And obviously, they've had to do that too by releasing and moving on from players. That's just no way to live. To me, this was, this was a financial situation from the get-go that they got themselves into and maybe didn't know how to get out of. Yeah, I, the, the free agency point, I think it can't be emphasized enough. Like Specifically, the Alex Petrangelo contract yeah. was like sort of just like a gluttonous move. And he has... He's obviously on the wrong side of, uh, you know, of his prime, I would say, even though he's still a decent player, but certainly not worth that contract. And they had plenty of defensive depth that was just sort of like an unnecessary move. But it really set off this like ripple effect of, um, you know, issues where they had to correct. And, And yeah, last year was a cap nightmare where they're like almost hiding guys intentionally who might be ready to come back because, yep. you know, Rob, Robin Leonard, who was injured and they asked him to be on the roster for cap cap reasons. But yeah, that's and, a and whole now, other they're, now they're laying their land around Jack Eichel, who, <laughs> you know, as we know, kind of locally here, just doesn't have a, a good track record to a compete at a, at a high level for a long time and B stay on the ice. So that's a $10 million hit. That's 12, 12% of their cap right now uh, tied to a guy that they acquired, you know, knowingly with all this in mind. And now he's going to be the focal point in, on that uh, top six. And uh, that's just bad news. So the fact that they're sixth right now to win the cup, according to FanDuel, feels like money being tossed into a dumpster right now. <laughs> that's what it feels like. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. I, I want to go to the bottom of these rankings real quick, the, uh, the Vegas rankings, because it's kind of a good way to see just a quick reaction to what happened over the past 24 hours. Uh, everybody in the world knows the Blackhawks are tanking. Everybody. I mean, uh, not just the people like me putting in the transactions or, the, or the, the hockey fans reading the news. Everybody knows. They're basically saying it out loud without saying it out loud. Do you know they, they do not have the worst odds in, in the NHL right now, Dan? Imagine being the Arizona Coyotes, watching Chicago do this, and being... And being Plus twenty five thousand to their plus fifteen thousand right now, according to Vegas. That's yeah. that's how bad this Arizona franchise remains. I can't even say is remains. It's been like this for it feels like a decade. What is the prowess with this franchise? Do they have a place to play? Do they have any kind of prospects in the system that you know of that could that could turn this thing around, or is this just where they're gonna be? Yeah, I think it's sort of gonna be. Uh, Are they just gonna have to move? Seriously. Well, at least I don't know specifically to answer that question, but there needs to be some some sort of stability within the organization or in, in ter- on that on that aspect. Um, no one no one's going to sign long term there. You know, they're trying to sell any player who's worth anything. Yeah, it's I think it's going to be a while before it gets better. Montreal and Chicago near the bottom of this rankings right now, just absolutely bottoming out. That's bad for hockey. It's really bad for hockey. And we've seen this a lot with other sports as we kind of approach the season. I mean, you know, Montreal's what? 
neck and neck with Toronto in terms of importance to this to this you know the the league in terms of historical. Uh, can they turn this ship around? I feel like they're good every other year. You know, I feel like it's it's uh it's almost like a Miami Marlins situation where they turn it on then immediately turn it right back off. Just bad luck, bad drafting. Why is one of the best, most important franchises in the league sitting at the bottom of this right now? I honestly can't say. Um, there has been, I, I feel like, some questionable, some of their draft I don't even want to say questionable. It's just some of their draft picks haven't worked out. Yeah, but totally bottomed um, out, yeah. Yeah, I I don't have a good answer for that one, but it, it's definitely a good talking point. Montreal, Chicago, two huge hockey markets, not relevant really, and um, right. kind of n- not a real clear path forward. I, I I agree. And they're signing one-year deals. You know, that's that's always the sign to me that a team is just trying to kind of stay afloat here. They're not, you know, they're not fully bottoming out. They're they're certainly over the floor and all that with you know, the contracts for Gallagher and Nick Suzuki and things like that. But I, uh, I just don't know if this is just not good for hockey. Is this, I have to kind of cycle back to it. Is the Carey Price contract just a problem? 10 and a half million a year for four more seasons, Dan. Yeah, it's definitely a factor, right? It's, it's definitely Are they just paying for that? Is that just part of this problem? Yeah. Well, yeah. And the uncertainty of like what, where he's at and yeah. Uh, I know how, how that affects their cap. So that's, yeah, that's that eight year contract situation I'm talking about, even though that one was longer. Um, speaking of which, do you know Shea Weber still active? Yeah, there's, that's like buy, that's like buyout stuff. And yeah, he like, he like shows up one day, <laughs> yeah. like at the beginning of the, yeah the off season or something like that. I forget the exact. I just feel like we have to speak to it because if you go to the contracts page for the NHL on spot track, his 14-year, $110 million contract still sits at the top, and it has for forever. And he's got f- four more years left on this thing, Dan. And they're all bottom-out minimum salaries. But the fact that these contracts were ever allowed and that teams actually agreed to them is just bonkersville to me. Bonkersville. And, there, and there's just not an easier way to buy it out or get it. You know, no. Like, they're just anchors, and they're just being tossed around the league. Like, how many times do we yep. see these contracts just traded for cap space because a team has cap space and the team that signed that player to the terrible contract doesn't have cap space. Surprise, surprise. It's garbage. It's just, uh, it's everything I'm talking about here. And look, there's a lot to like, there's a lot of young kids really taking steps forward. I thought, you know, some of those seven or eight year extensions yesterday were to these young players, like a Robert Thomas in St. Louis. That's exciting stuff. You know, there's some teams that, that I think have really done a nice job over the past decade in managing cap and, and, and productivity and all that. And the league has been better for it, but uh, you know, I, I just feel like a Forsberg contract in Nashville could be, you know, another three years of great, and then uh, you know the whole franchise kind of drags down because of it. Um, so it's it's a hit and miss with me. This this free agency always brings up some good and bad feelings because I do like to see so much activity, and and, and you know we didn't have the trades that I expected yesterday. There may be only three or four that were notable. We'll get more of those, I think, later in the summer here as teams figure out who they are in the camp system. But um, it was a decent amount of activity. And actually, you know, having two 100-point players, one restricted, one unrestricted, hit the open market, that just doesn't happen in any sport anymore. You don't get those kind of uh, productivity players hitting the open market. So that's certainly good for the sport. Um, I don't know. Just where's your assessment with this? Is there a, is there a quick fix to, to, to hockey that can bring it back to, the, to more of a spotlight? Or is it as simple as, 
it's going to be cyclical. It's going to be a local regional kind of thing. And uh, it's kind of the baby version of major league baseball right now. Yeah, I, I don't see them making like the necessary adjustments mm-hmm. to, to kind of bring it to the forefront, to be, to be totally honest with you. I mean, we've been fans and following the sport long enough to, to feel like seemingly every decision they make is kind of against what the, you know, what you think the majority wants, but um, yeah, I don't have a lot of faith personally. It's <laughs> a great talk. Let's get to something even more fun. Let's talk a little baseball as for, uh, we joked about this this morning. It's going to be the butt of a lot of media coverage today. Um, the Kansas city Royals, Dan have 10 players on the restricted list right now, not able to travel to Toronto, uh, 10 notable players, basically an entire lineup of players, right? A shortstop, a first baseman, a catcher, two pitchers, a reliever. I mean, just the works. A couple of outfielders, the maybe the biggest outfield trade piece available over the next couple of weeks in Andrew Benintendi, all on the list, uh, on the restricted list. Your thoughts before I break down some numbers with this? Uh, I mean, I, I guess I don't have a ton to say. It's like pretty, pretty shocking. Yeah. It's just like their entire starting lineup almost. Um, both, both of their top catchers. Um, yeah, multiple outfielders, two starting pitchers. It's, um, yeah, I don't, I, I guess I don't have a lot like to comment on regardless, it, but it, from like a competitive standpoint, they're obviously not in the race, but they're playing Toronto who is very much in the thick of races This affects that race. Um, so you can argue this, you know, Sure, competitive. They can choose what they want, they want to do and it doesn't really hurt the Royals, but, um, right. You know, the Royals are terrible. As a whole, it's, yeah, right. But as a whole, it's just not a great look that um, for an entire weekend series, uh, a professional team is basically going to be running out a minor league team. So, so, um, so they lose four paychecks, game paychecks, because of this, because of the series miss. That's almost two hundred thousand dollars for Ben Attendee, one hundred fifty for Whit Mer- Merrifield, another big name on that list. Um, but the conversation you and I were having this morning, Dan, and I think it's relevant. Ben Attendee and, Taylor, and Michael A. Taylor, the outfielder, have both been linked to AL East teams at this trade deadline. How do those teams pull this trigger? How do you bring these guys in knowing they can't play in Toronto? <clears throat> I, I don't know, and I'm, I'm going to kind of punt and say that I'm going to wait for smarter people to comment on this, yeah. um, and I'll just kind of follow their decision, because I really don't know how this works out, Mike. I... <laughs> On one hand, I want to say like some teams might kind of just say, well, like, what are the chances that Toronto gets in and we play Toronto and it's a major factor or what, you know, but if Toronto gets in, it's a realistic factor for anybody. And if you're dedicating assets towards an Andrew Benintendi, um, you know, who's going to command a, a pretty good return. And he's realistically a guy that will be out for two or three games in, in a given series. Yeah it's at least a point of consideration. Obviously I want to also say that teams will still find value in that player um, for the other 95%. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I don't want to like place too much emphasis or be dramatic about it, but if you're making a a move, say you're the Yankees and you're in the, you're in the playoffs already, you're making moves to solidify um, your position there. So, you know, Michael A. Taylor, I keep hearing with the Yankees, is that like, are you going to add that guy, you know, 
Like, can you not find a similar player that yeah. is able to play in Toronto? I, I, I don't know, but does it hurt his trade value? Do the Yankees um, say, all right, we'll take Benintendi, but look, we know that he's going to be part-time in, in a certain degree and possibly even in, in a, in a wildcard matchup or a divisional matchup. So, you know, it's a C now, not a B prospect now, or whatever it's going to be. Yeah. It's maybe, leverage, it, right? maybe, yeah, maybe the package gets dinged a little bit, but I, I mean, the Royals, I feel like are just going to try and leverage any other, you know, an NL deal or somebody that won't have to play Toronto or is just simply, I mean, he also, he could go to an AL team that's just simply trying to get into the playoffs, right? Like, he doesn't have to go to a bona fide um So the know, reason I bring it up, though, right Dan, now. is, and I'm sure you're aware, you're, you're an avid watcher, all, all AL East teams now are over 500. All five. The, the Orioles just went over last night with another big win. And if we're talking about the wild card, Boston and Toronto are tied for the wild card right now, the second wild card spot. Tampa Bay has the first wild card spot. We're talking about three teams in the playoffs right now from this division. So they're all going to be buying. They're all going to be vying against each other. And, and you know how divisional games always match up late in the season. So it, it, you can say, yes, there's a 95% hit rate with, with Benintendi, but that's a really important 5%, right? It's a really important matchup that he wouldn't be available for either in the end of the regular season or in the postseason. So I, I'm not going to knock at a guy for, for making a personal decision like this, but when it when it comes to this, when you when you're possibly forfeiting a chance to go play for the best team in baseball, right, the Yankees, and get them into what could be a World Series run, it's just a it's just a tough situation to to understand because we're seeing every team that that goes to Toronto go through some of this, but you know the Royals have not one they're in the leader in the clubhouse with ten. That's let's put it that way. Um, if they were better, would these number would this number be less? Hmm. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't think so. I, if at this point you're making the choice that you're making, then sure. I, I don't really know if that's going to change a lot, but maybe I'm under selling competitiveness, but yeah, I, I just, I just think they would hope that the, the cards fall, that it wouldn't be a major factor. So, okay. Um, real quick, a little buyer seller stuff here before we get out of here on baseball, because it is going to be that time. The all-star break is upon us here. The home run derby is about five days away. And then we'll get going back into the second half of the season when everything gets really kind of locked down. There's a lot more buyers and sellers right now, Dan, because of what I just said with that AL. I mean, that AL wild card is just a, a rat race. It's going to be a total blast. And the NL one's not, not super bad either. There's about five teams vying for those two wild card spots or three wild card spots, excuse me. And, uh, you know, even Miami and Colorado are in that conversation. I don't imagine they're super buyers, but possible buyers. Where's your head with this? You know, if you had to draw a line in these standings right now, who's falling down into seller mode? Who's not, you know, who's kind of uh, stuck in the middle still? Which teams have had the most movement in that regard? Like, where, where do you put a Baltimore and a Seattle right now who are both very much in this conversation? <clears throat> Baltimore's... Baltimore is probably the most interesting of the group, to be honest. Um, there's they, as we've talked about, they don't have a ton of pieces that you would want to sell. I, I guess let's just like be direct. It's kind of, do you sell, do you trade Trey Mancini? Right. Um, in my opinion, I mean, you have, you have one side, keep the guy. He's a fan favorite. You're close to making a, potential playoff run 
So why not go for it? But on the other side of things, this is still on every account, a developing team Mm -hmm. um, that can use any, you know, it's small market. They can use any asset. So even if that returns a double A arm or two, two single A prospects, whatever it is, I think the team would benefit more from still selling um, with like, like a tempered sell, if you will. You yeah, know? Like I think that's Matt exactly Manger. right. I think I think Mancini would be the only name I'd float out there right now. Maybe maybe one of the the the, the fourth or fifth starters, I guess. But or the reliever, they do have a number of relievers yeah. that are just like have been really impressive, and you can ask questions: Are they going to want that? Like, eat? They still have a bunch of team control, but are they gonna? Are they? Are you gonna want those guys on escalating arbitration numbers sure. um, when you're competitive three or four years down the line? So if those are guys that you want to sell now, th- that's where you start really adding packages of prospects. If you if you ship out two of those guys and kind of punt your mm-hmm. your assets down the line, and and then now you have a whole package of different prospects. If you if you deal those two or three relievers, that that's where I think you really jumpstart into serious rebuild mode rather just around the fringes and we trade the one guy that comes up every year and you don't really ever you know net anything of real value so that that's kind of where i would go if i were the orioles because i think they are doing things right organizationally it's just going to take time and it's a terrible division to try yeah. and you know get your head above you so know, the last point is the so. one i, w- I was going to piggyback off of anyway okay dan so everything you just said i think is correct from a gm standpoint Right, the GM says, "All right, you know we're we're improving, but to to really get better over the next three or four years, we have to get a guy, and maybe that guy is an A prospect, and we can package two really you know solid relievers and and, and a Mancini, or maybe even a, one of our Bs to move up to an A. That's probably the right move as a GM. But if you're the owner, and I realize that's a contentious situation, we don't have to go down that path. But if you're the owner of the Baltimore Orioles right now, and you know what this division has done to you over the past decade." And that on any given year, you're going to be pushed down to the bottom, most likely. But you're not right now. You're at the bottom, but you're, you're in contention right now. Doesn't the owner have to go to the front office and say, whatever you're thinking, don't. We're buying. We're going. Get me, get me a bat. Give me another arm. We're doing this right now because we have to do this to res- resuscitate our fan base. Is that an incorrect assessment? No. I... I would not, first of all, I would not blame them from a fan side. Anytime you have a team in contention, it's exciting, especially for a small market um, who appreciates the lows and um, isn't there all the time that um, that would be so exciting for that fan base. Um, And not for nothing, let me throw this in. The Nationals suck. I mean, they're going to be the worst team in baseball right across town. You have a chance to actually rip some of those fans back right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, oh man. From an organizational building standpoint, I think I I don't necessarily it's hard because Trey Mancini is well liked there and he's been with them through a lot. Um, So it's hard to just say just to be gutless and, you know, cold hearted and just sell, you know, get rid of him. But I think you could sell and get a player of mm-hmm. value that still helps you this year while also adding a prospect or two in the, you know, like they're, they probably won't trade interdivision with the Yankees but like if Trey Mancini got flipped for like Joey Gallo or if like this what if it's Hosmer what if it's Hosmer and you go to the Padres and say you know we need two major league baseball players and one prospect plus Hosmer you know what I mean we'll take that contract down for you 
fine. I was going to say if the Carlos Santana trade was out there and maybe it's Eric Hosmer, that's a great, that's a great comparison. So I think you can still accomplish what you're trying to accomplish while getting something back in return that keeps you in contention. And it's not just like a sell to the fan base uh, or that, you know, that we're punting on the year and we're just trying to bring in prospects. You're still trying to contend while adding, um, you know, assets down your organization. So I think that's the way to go. I, Mike Elias, I think is a good GM. He's, I think he will make the right moves for this organization one way or another, but yeah, you make a really good point from a, from a fan perspective. They, they got to just kind of, I don't want to say push your chips in, but you got to kind of just run, you know, ride the wave there at at some point. I think so. It's just going to be so rare in that division, unfortunately. You know what I mean? Especially over the next couple of years, if Toronto's only going to get better here and yeah, who knows what happens with Boston over the next 18 months. Let me, let's just specifically say, I don't think either of us are saying they should be buyers though. Right. We're just saying they're not, they're, they shouldn't be sellers in that condition. That's right. And, and, but I think it'd be wrong to stay exactly where they are. Do you know what right, I mean? That's fine. I, I think, I'm just saying I, I they're think not a slight buy, uh, and maybe it's a sell Mancini to buy. You know what I mean? Um, I, I think you can do both things and and shake up and, and show your fan base, look, we're we're not sitting on our hands because I think that's the that's the wrong move right now. Is just to sort of ride this season out and hope you you remain in existence here. I think that'll that'll push them into you know back down to the bottom where they where they used to being but you can sell mancini and buy in that regard for right now with with a hosmer type deal you know what i mean for sure for sure i'm simply just saying like they're not they're not gonna like go package a bunch of prospects to trade for a guy on an expiring contract to try and make the playoffs this year i know you're not saying that either i just want to simply point that out we're not saying they're going to like go be active buyers but like you said they can kind of sell and buy at the same time so like what if they packaged a big deal for pablo lopez in miami if they see the contingent here on anything baltimore related is is if players will want to resign like that right because they're still like in terms of like the core they're they're young promising core like yep. i i get that they're contending and in a wild card spot right now but this is this is early for what they were projecting right we were not expecting their core to start like really developing for another year or two mm-hmm. and like I, you're not buying pablo lopez for another two or three years of control if he's gonna walk out the door again once your other players arrive you know what i'm trying to say but can, but can i be devil's advocate with that what else yeah. can Baltimore expect? These teams just don't go from Z to A in Major League Baseball. You know what I mean? It's, it's just not right. how it works. You can try to with free agency and overpay the hell out of, you know, arguably bad players or, or declining players. But if you can get two or three years of Pablo Lopez and you're Baltimore, you have to do it. <laughs> you just have to do it. And if he doesn't sign, he doesn't sign. I, I, I just think you, ha- you have to take that middle step and maybe it's a, it's a tough pill to swallow, but that's how, I mean, this has been a very bad franchise for a long time now, Dan, you, you, you have to climb out of this step-by-step. Step. It's not just going to be an immediate, you know, we're ready to go now. It's not like the Astros, right? The Astros were down there for a long time and they, they kind of, you know, put the piece together in a lot of different avenues to some degree, Baltimore has done that. And that's why you're starting to see a little bit of success, but I think you have to have one, a couple of home run hits like that. I just think you're going to have to, you, even if 
it's not going to be for eight years. It's going to be for two. Yeah, I, I, I totally see your point. I guess I can't get it out of my mind that like, if you're acquiring Pablo Lopez right now, it is costing you a lot. So you're mm-hmm. carving out, like you're kind of eroding what you're t- sort of working towards. You know what I mean? So unless that's okay, I like Pablo Lopez. If you want to trade for him, that's fine. But I, I feel like you would need more than two. Like you would need, you would need to immediately then offer him a contract that you would expect him to, to reasonably take. Do you know, that's do you know what I mean? Point. I, it's a fair point. I just think, I just think even if he says no right now, you get him, <laughs> you get him because they just haven't been able to pick the right pitchers. You know, it's a little bit of angels in the, in, in the bloodstream over in Baltimore. And uh, they, I think they have a chance right now. They're, they're overachieving on the mound. There's no question about that. You and I have talked quite a bit about how we like three or four of their position players and that those pieces were really starting to come together. I look at a player like Lopez, who's maybe the third best player pitcher on his team, <laughs> unbelievably, and would be the ace on this roster tomorrow. Tomorrow. And that's hard to do. And if you can do it, you do it. And you don't even think about 2025. You just do it now. So um, I'm rooting for him. I'm definitely, you know, not just because I'm against the Yankees most days, but I'm rooting for him because they have been. And by the way, the schedule is going to help them too starting next year. Do you know about that change? About how the schedule is going to be less divisional going forward? Yeah. Yep. The yeah, so you're going to play every team in the league every year, which is going to reduce the divisional games. And it's, for, it's literally for this reason. They're trying to get teams like Baltimore out of the basement as much as possible. So having that in mind and knowing there's actually going to be some schedule relief next year too, is that just more reason to pile on and and maybe take a step forward this year at the deadline? I think it should be for Baltimore. That's just my opinion though. Yeah, I, I, I'm a little bit more tempered with their rebuild, but I mean, I, I'm not going to argue against it. The reasoning is the reasoning is fine for sure. All right, Dan, who's going to win the British open? I'm just kidding. I know you don't watch worth a leg. I'm just kidding. Um, if you, because I know you have, you've been bouncing around with us now for you know, six, seven months. And this is the downtime in the NFL. I mean, if you follow any NFL Twitter accounts, which I know you do, people are just literally crying for content, like, you know, scraping. They're listing out tight ends and whatever the hell else you want to see. What is the story that's going to carry us into, into the end of July here in the NFL? What's the one thing from your outside perspective that is still, I mean, let's put, let's put Deshaun aside. I don't want to talk about Deshaun. What else in the NFL is going to carry us into training camp? Oh, good. That, that's a good question. Um, do you have, do you have something you're like, yeah, I, um, I mean, I've been doing this every week now, so I, I kind of yeah, right. know what's like, the top I, of the news. I, because I'm from like a fantasy perspective, right? So like that most Love of it. the content, a lot of the NFL content I've listened to right now has like a fantasy relation to it in terms of like roster construction or draft picks or dynasty type stuff. So in turn, like I have not gotten into the weeds as much as you have on that sort of stuff. So I'm like thinking of it from like a, who, you know, who has targets available (laughs) sort of thing, you know, (laughs) which is probably not ideal, but um, yeah, I mean like, what do you think, where do you think things are going to go non Deshaun related? Um, I think the 49ers are the most fascinating team in sports right now. Just for a million reasons. They're, they're radio silent right now. Their starting quarterback from last year is, I don't know. The starting quarterback they drafted for this year is, I don't know. Their biggest playmaker is, 
I don't know. <laughs> they have no cap space. Everything is just a complete, and yet they're going to, what, they're going to compete in that division? I, I think they're so fascinating. And by the way, if we get to camp and they realize all of it is just crap, they're going to sell. They're going to sell in July, in August, which is just going to change everything in the league. If Debo Samuel gets traded in August, that's an immediate, that's like two wins for somebody. Don't you think? That's two wins. I mean, that's a huge August change. And I think it's, I think it's 100% possible. I think it's possible DK Metcalf moves in August. That, that's, that's franchise changing for a one-year you know, one difference. I just think, and then, you know, the Garoppolo stuff to me isn't that important. You know, he can go back up anywhere, in my opinion, or he can stay there and compete for, for that job. But I just think that franchise is both overvalued and undervalued and could just be a nine-win team and ride it out or could completely blow up in the next six weeks. Completely blow up. Yeah, actually, the whole that whole. I mean, I think you've said enough about specifically the Niners. I, I think the whole division is pretty interesting, sure. though, right? I mean, the Rams. Like usually, you kind of have the Super Bowl hangover effect here, but I still really like the Rams that come out of there. Oh, yeah. For for the you know the the reasons you laid out with San Francisco. I, I mean, is it's Arizona Seattle, good? Yeah. Is Arizona good though? Either Mike, like I I, I know they could. If they don't pay Kyler, what happens? And even if they do, though, aren't they like, like, do you really like what they've done? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little bit more down, but I feel like that there's a non-zero chance that St. Louis kind of runs away with that division, right? I mean, Seattle could even, if Seattle is so, if the other two teams are worse and Seattle is a little bit better, sure. maybe they have a win or two more than we expect, right? So that whole division is kind of up in the air, in my opinion, uh, beyond, beyond the Rams. I mean, I, I, I see them as clear favorites, even though, clear. um, it's, it, you know, Vegas is kind of not totally like sold on Arizona slipping for sure. In the ratings right now, in the rankings, um, San Francisco's holding right there, right behind the Rams. So that's what I mean. That that's a team that is, is extremely relevant in a lot of people's minds. And I, I just see so much, uh, uh, you know, disruption that could happen, especially at the quarterback position. I, I assume it's Trey Lance and I assume he's going to be a guy, but you know, is he Mac Jones or is he not? I don't know. Who's Mac Jones, right? I mean, we've seen all this, these BS comparisons and I just think the team could be completely blown up. Uh, I feel better about Seattle because they're just not doing that. You know, the DK stuff is weird, but they're just, they're saying all the right things. This is exactly what I wanted them to be. Be Drew Locke for 2022 so that you can be better than Drew Locke in 2023. <laughs> just makes so much sense. The other story is this, and this is such a hot take, but it is not from a financial standpoint. I'm in the process of doing my contractual quarterback tiers for the offseason here as we, as we get into that regular season stuff because you know it's kind of the, pre, the prelude to how things could shake up at the trade deadline and then versus in, in the offseason, which you know we've seen three straight quarterback carousels every offseason here. So what's going to happen through 2022 and into 2023 with the quarterback position. And there's, it's a little bit less intriguing than it's been in the past couple of years, except for one name. And I'm going to put this out there as the other, the other story to carry us through the camp because there, there has been some shakeup in Green Bay, right? Devontae, things like that. They did bring back quite a bit of the defense. Aaron Rodgers' contract has an out, a trade out after 2022. And all the people really close to Aaron Rodgers and really close to Green Bay have made that clear. You know what I mean? Like have painstakingly said, oh, I, we just think it's a one for 42 and then we'll see. But it's not, Dan. It's three for 150. 
And the only way it's not three for 150 is, you know, is if he basically retires after this year and or Green Bay punts on it and trades him. We're not talking about this enough, and I love it because we, we spent so much time on him last year. But at some point in time, whether they're really good or, or possibly just average based on who they could be, the Aaron Rodgers movement train is coming back to us. It's coming. And whether it's he's going to win the Super Bowl and then retire, or he's going to leave you know seven or a hundred and some million dollars on the table, or Vegas, who has Derek Carr on a one-year contract, is going to acquire Aaron Rodgers in 2023 because that's possible too. It's coming back to us. Just, just understand that the three-year contract for Aaron Rodgers or the five-year contract, whatever it looks like on paper, is not. And we're going to be talking about this at some point in time, both Brady on a one-year and Aaron Rodgers on a veritable one-year. That's coming back into our world. So just get ready for it. Interesting. Yeah, if I, coming into this, if I had to guess what you were going to talk about, I would have said one thing had to do with Rodgers. But um, I mean, just the whole situation there with Green Bay, I mean, yeah. they're kind of being held hostage year to year here and, and their rebuild is, well, not rebuild, but uh, where they're going and their direction is kind of meandering here as they figure out how to handle Rodgers uh, every year. So And he's great. So, you know, you want him on the roster, but at some point in time, and and I've done a lot of work on the contract and I, you know, I, I wrote it for this quarterback tears piece again. If they, if they keep him for three years, I just want to say it again, cause it's fun to say out loud. If they keep him for the next three years and pay him the 150, after those three years, there's $77 million of dead cap to green Bay. <laughs> so, so if he makes the 150 and then retires at age 41, which is extremely possible, if not likely, Green Bay has a $77 million dead cap hit. That's what they just got themselves into. That's what they just did. So why wouldn't they trade him after this year? You know what I mean? I'm not even sure it's his decision. I think they may say, look, we can't do this. We can't can't pay him the next two years of this contract because we're going to be dead in 2025. Literally dead. So, so it, it, I lay, lay this out like on three. If they trade that, is that does that stick on the new team? So are so they passing that, uh, that burden onto a different team? Yes, it's a great question. So there's three bonuses built into this thing. One this year, one next year, one in 2024. So they would be giving him a signing bonus this year. For, it's a one for 42 with that bonus. But then they'd be transferring those next two bonuses to a different franchise, which would lower the, cap, the dead cap hit for the new team too, because the signing bonus would stay with Green Bay. So it can't, it's kind of win-win for everybody. Um, but my point is, I'm not even sure Aaron Rodgers will have a decision in this. There's a chance that Green Bay already knows in the back of their mind, this is one and done for Aaron Rodgers. This is it. This contract is not sustainable to stay here. We've got to move it. But uh, to follow up on that, then am I thinking through this correctly? Isn't there kind of shared leverage, though? Because then can't Rodgers say, well... I only want to go to these three teams or else I'm going to retire. And then those three, uh, then any other team beyond those will probably not want to trade for him because they know that they're then acquiring that dead cap hit. Does that make, is that, is that the difference though, is that if he retires, green Bay can, can fight this contract. Do you understand what I'm saying? The contract only hurts if he plays, if he plays out. Gotcha. So the leverage he has to retire would actually be okay for Green Bay from a contractual standpoint. Look, they'd rather have him as, as the quarterback. I'm not trying to push that, that point down too far, but I'm telling you what the contract says, and the contract gets really scary if he's here in 2023. Really scary. So, 
Um, just, just it's coming back in our lives, guys. It is. It's happening. The yeah, Aaron Rodgers movement the, yeah. train is coming, and it's going right to be loud. When we, right when we got rid of Brett Favre and Drew Brees every single offseason, yeah. now we get Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. How about that? Yeah. And, and one last <laughs> thing. What's uh, what's happening with Taysom Hill this year? No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh We're man, done. I no, We're done. I kind of, <laughs> I kind of like Jameis, but um, I think he's still there's a little bit of uncertainty there with the injury coming back. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do there. Are like, you going to bet made... Taysom Hill week one starter? Um, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that, but yeah, uh, I know they signed. I, other, I, they signed Dalton. They're done right. with Taysom Hill. Yeah, yeah. So good point. I, I didn't even consider the Dalton factor because yeah. I've. I'm kind of on Jameis Winston, but the more I hear, it sounds like the shoulder might not be ready. That right. affects chemistry. There's some new receivers there. Michael Thomas yeah. hasn't played in two years. So, um, yeah, Mark that's Camaro's an interesting miss, what, six weeks? Yeah, who knows? Or more, right? I think the jury's still out there, but yeah. well, not, not, that's probably a bad pun. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. All right, man. Good All stuff. Right. We'll talk soon. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks. All right. Always good catching up with Cousin Dan. Plenty of this content came from The Athletic. Check out theathletic.com slash track for 40% off. And aforementioned, Dan is a big Dynasty fantasy football guy. DynastyOwner.com, get you started. Use code SPOTTRACK20 to save some bucks on registration. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast. 